Would you join us as we continue, as we pray before reading God's word? Guide us, O God, by your spirit, and that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in you, in your will discover your peace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Scripture reading is actually from jumping into the Gospel of John. We'll be reading chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. And that's John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can pick up a pew Bible and turn to page 840. And when you have found it, please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So if you look at your Bible, um, most of your Bibles would probably have these double brackets around the text. Um, John chapter 7, verse 53 through verse 11 of chapter 8. Um, It indicates that the editors of the text are not convinced that this passage is original to John's gospel, and they're not found in the best manuscripts. So if we pass over this section, verse 53 of chapter 7 through verse 11 of 8, we find the setting and situation of the rest of chapter 8 actually matching quite nicely with chapter 7 that precedes. Both the setting and the situation continues at the temple, and now um, it's the last and great day of the Feast of the Tabernacle. The passage that I read read starts with the word again, just to kind of let us know that this is happening in the context of the Feast of the Tabernacle. Now, Feast of the Tabernacle was a joyful celebration. Um, was a family time of sort, lasted a full week. And a Jew at that time would go to the top of their house, and they're typically flat houses, 
and they would build kind of a shackled tents of sort made of sticks and palm tree leaves. And you would sleep out there. Kind of like, closest thing would be like camping in your backyard today. Kids would go up there at night, throughout the day and throughout the week, they'll eat different kind of food. And at night, they'll sleep there. And if they need to, they can come back home for different reasons. And during this time, the parents will be teaching their children about Exodus and how God let them out. And for 40 years, that the Israelites lived in these tents, in these tabernacles of sort, for 40 years. And all of this kind of coincided with the harvest Thanksgiving um, season where people were thanking the Lord for the abundance. Chapter 7 happens, similar time context, in the temple and continues here in the treasury of the temple. Now, if you enter the temple mount, you would first enter through the court of the Gentiles. And after that, Gentiles will no longer be able to get closer. And then you will move into the court of women. And that's where the treasury was. And that's where people came and gave offerings. During the Feast of Tabernacle, there were two specific ceremonies that were significant as they remembered what God did during the Exodus. And the first um, significant ceremony was the the water-drawing ceremony where they remembered and celebrated what God did in providing water in the wilderness. And Jesus said in chapter 7 that he would give anyone who believed in him living water. A couple of chapters before, he spoke about living water when he met that woman. Um, Now, it's in the kind of the last day of the Feast of the Tabernacle. There's another ceremony that's significant. Um, some Jewish literature indicates that at the last evening uh, of the feast, the temple officials would gather up and set up these four large lamps in the temple court. And um, they would celebrate and dance all night, singing praises to the Lord. These lamps, these torches, some say it would be as tall as the highest walls in the temple. And they would hold about 65 liters of oil. These are massive containers, kind of like those tubs that we would use um, during fellowship time when we put those drinks. That's a 17-gallon tub, which is uh, close to this 65-liter oil container. And young, um, healthy um, Priests would climb the ladders up to fill and refill to fill up those um, lamps. I don't know how many trips it would have taken, but and they'll light them up, and the entire temple would be bright. And those, even from the surrounding city of Jerusalem, could see this bright light shining. Probably the closest thing for us would be seeing these floodlights and sports events and how you can see from a distance when the entire field is lit up. It's in this context of festivity that as people are remembering the, what happened when God led them out of Egypt with pillar of fire, pillar of cloud, as they were partaking in these ceremonies in this kind of Old Testament-charged night air that Jesus speaks. 
I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. If you remember, the nation of Israel was brought out of the bondage of Egypt. And after the the ten plagues, finding themselves kind of stuck, trapped between the banks of the Red Sea with the Pharaoh and his chariots chasing after They're doubting, they're grumbling, they're complaining, and they're still in disbelief. And it's in this context in Exodus 14, then the angel of God, who is going in front of the Israelite forces, moved and went behind them. A pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptian and the Israelite forces. There was cloud and darkness. It lit up the night, and neither grew came near the other all night long, and the Lord protected the Israelites. And from this very moment, God continues to lead his people through the wilderness for the next 40 years until they reach the promised land with a cloud and a pillar of fire. All they had to do was just follow him, follow what they can see, whether cloud during the day, pillar of fire by night, When Jesus calls himself that he is a light of the world, and he uses the word I am, he's saying that he is God. And he's also saying, as Israelites are triggered to what they have witnessed, what their forefathers and mothers have, to follow him as their mothers and fathers follow the pillar. In no uncertain terms, the only way for them to leave their slavery from sin is to submit to this Jesus. The only way for any one of us to reach the promised land that Jesus speaks of, the home that he prepares, where he came from, heaven, is to follow him, submit to him. The only way to know where we are to walk, where to go, that will lead us to heaven, is to follow this Jesus. People said a lot of different things about Jesus, who they thought Jesus was, but the I am statements is the way that he pronounces himself as he claims deity. And Many months ago, we we touched upon Jesus' first I am statement where he said, I am the bread of life. And we remember, if you can remember actually, going back to Exodus 3, it's echoing the language, at least the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament language of I am that we see here now when Jesus and John saying, I am the light of the world. It's reflecting his deity, his nature, and the work that he does. Today, I'm going to just kind of touch upon three points as we look at verses 12 through um, 30, actually, although I read through verse 20. Um, And I I believe the the passage shows us, when we consider Jesus' identification as the, the light of the world, we see he shows us our true condition. 
he shows us what he did, and he shows us the consequence of unbelief. So the first point, Jesus' identity as the light of the world reveals our human condition. And by pointing out that he is the light of the world, he points us the reality that we, our human condition, live in abject darkness. That our minds are darkened, we're blind, and we can't see. One of the next stories, actually not one, but the next story in John actually is about a blind man that Jesus heals. And there's a connection about blindness, ability to see, our inability to see for by ourselves, that we are indeed spiritually blind. And throughout the Gospel of John, we see um, Jesus dispelling darkness, the light of the world to display, display, dispel the darkness that he has come. Now, when you think about the Bible and you think about darkness, I think oftentimes the Bible speaks of darkness in the realm of ignorance and folly. The world we live in is dark, and because of that, uh, we, we are lost in ignorance and folly when we are left alone to our own not only that, darkness is also a realm of evil and fear. Jesus shows that um, evil is real. And throughout the gospel, actually, a lot of evil things happen in the dark at night. And there's a reason why that's juxtaposed again and again. And darkness also speaks of bondage, um, whether the Israelites from the bondage of um, slavery in Egypt, to misery and death. Paul also speaks of mankind suffering presently in the slave chains of Satan. In Ephesians, he speaks of the cosmic powers over this present darkness. The darkness of the world involves bondage in sin and misery that ultimately culminates in death. And the world in darkness, because of that, sits under God's judgment and consigned to God's wrath. The world that God created was not dark, but it was made dark by sin. And because of sin, mankind came under the judgment of God, and God being holy, sinful, men were cast out from the light of his presence. And that's the state of mankind Without God, we are cast out of the light of his presence. Second point that Jesus reveals when he says he is the light of the world um, reveals what Jesus did. And one of the most important things is that he fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. During the Advent seasons, we um, light candles, we read scripture about um, whether passages from Isaiah, like Isaiah 9, when it reads, the people who dwelt in darkness have seen a great light. Upon them has a light shined. Jesus is essentially saying that he's that light. He is the one of whom the Old Testament speaks. He's a fulfillment of every promise of the Messiah in the Old Testament. We often sing hymns, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Psalmist 
praise and sing these words, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Some 22 times throughout the book of John, light is referenced again and again. The light of the world is clearly a messianic title for Jesus. Part of what the Feast of the Tabernacle, as uh, they're remembering the pillar of light that led them through the wilderness, and we are remembering, people of God are remembering that he is that light. He is the one who led the people of God into the ways of salvation, into the ways of truth. And what are we to do? We are to follow Jesus as Israelites follow the cloud of fire. They trusted the cloud that led them, that protected them. And we are to follow Christ. That's what he's telling us to do. Because when we follow, then we will be relieved from our ignorance and folly. Because he will be the one teaching us the truth. He's the one who protects us from the searing rays of God's wrath because he's going to be the one who pays the penalty for sins on the cross. And the misery and the fear and the curse of death no longer because that's what he came to undo. To reach the promised land, we have to walk through, tread through this wicked world But the glories of the heaven, the promised land, can only be reached when we trust him and live as his disciples. John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress is a great read, and I encourage you to pick up a copy. Now, when the cloud moved, Israelites moved. When the cloud settled, they camped. So as Christians now, we are to follow Jesus' words, his steps, all the way to the cross and to the empty tomb. Throughout the passage we read, in his dialogue between him and the Pharisees, essentially he's saying this, that he is the expert witness about heaven. He is the expert witness about God. He is an expert witness about the Father because he's talking about his home that he left behind, where he used to live, where he will return. And he also speaks of another witness that backs him up. Now, the Pharisees don't recognize that, but he speaks of his Father who testifies of him. And God the Father testifies of God the Son through what John the Baptist said, through all the miracles that Jesus performed, and throughout all the scriptures of the old that he is fulfilling here through his life, death, and resurrection. Being the Son of God, Jesus and his claims are self-validating. Matthew Henry writes, 
He, referring to Jesus, is the light of the world, and it is the property of light to be self-evidencing. Jesus, not then, when he's interacting with the Pharisees, and not now, 2022, he does not subject himself to worldly standard of judgment. When Moses came before the burning bush, God didn't start with arguments to convince Moses But what did he do? He burned with his divine light. And Moses knew where he was, who he was before. Imagine hearing someone like Pavarotti, or for youngins, BTS, sing and like not knowing you demand to see their musical credentials. Or imagine listening to someone like Albert Einstein or recently deceased Stephen Hawking, talking about physics but demanding some sort of a credentials, college transcript, um, or someone demanding Michael Jordan or Stephen Curry, whatever, prove his right to talk about basketball. But far less should anyone stand before Jesus Christ and demand evidence to prove his divine teaching. Jesus validates himself, saying, my testimony is true. And the third final point, Jesus' identity as the light of the world shows us the consequence of unbelief. Because if you don't believe, as the Gospel of John repeats again, you will die in your sins. In verse 24, as he's speaking to the Pharisees, he said, you will die in your sins unless what? Unless your sins are covered, basically, right? Unless your sins are dealt with, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe and trust in Jesus, what he has done substitutionally on the cross for your sins, you will die and you will receive the wrath of God. You see, Jesus came to fulfill the Passover, to be the Lamb of God who came to set his people free. Jesus came to fulfill the tabernacles by tabernacling himself. John chapter 1 uses the same language. He came and he tabernacled among his people. Why? To lead them, just as he led the Israelites, to lead them ultimately to the promised land that he came from, that he's preparing us to. Those who are born of God are freed by what Jesus has done from sin and power of sin and death. Those of us who are in Christ, we were slaves to sin, but now we are set free and we willingly become slaves, servants unto God. The liberated, born-again believers, what are we doing? We're making our ways through the wilderness. It's a temporary journey to a home promised in new heavens and new earth. And how do we get there? Just as the Israelites follow the pillar of fire and cloud, we look to Jesus and we follow what he says, what he did culminating to that cross, to the empty tomb, 
You know, the Pharisees are an interesting bunch. They were sure that the true Messiah that they are waiting for will agree with their point of view, whatever particular idea of their idea of salvation, their expectation. And by doing so, they stood in judgment before God. Because you know what? Jesus wasn't like the Pharisees. Jesus didn't believe in the kind of things the Pharisees believed. And he didn't treat people the way they did either. And their idea of salvation wasn't what Jesus had in mind. The kingdom of God that Jesus spoke of and preached in the gospel did not align with the expectations of these Pharisees, as religious as they were. That's why the scary thing is their unbelief was so stubborn despite this overwhelming evidence. And Jesus condemns them by saying that they will, at the end, reap what they deserve. I think this interaction that we get to see is a sober warning, especially 2022, when we see people talking about Jesus, talking about the Jesus that they are following, who looks nothing like the Jesus of the Bible. And the more you look at the Jesus that they like, that they say they trust and follow, look just like them and their personal ilks and likings and everything else. But passage today reminds that the true Savior does not embrace any fleshly agenda. Jesus said, I judge no one, but he judges rightly. He doesn't judge like the Pharisees. That's what he's saying. He's not here to advance the gender of the Pharisees or any other party, but the kingdom of God. He came to challenge. He came to capture, transform all earthly agenda and calls everyone to kneel and surrender, bow at his feet. You see, I think today's passage to me shows that if we refuse to submit our agenda to God, it really doesn't matter how much evidence you see because you're not going to be persuaded to accept the God of Jesus Christ of the Bible. We see this again and again today, even more so blatantly. And the Pharisees remind us that at the end of the day, it's not an intellectual matter more often. There might be certain intellectual components, but the majority of the issue really is a matter of the heart. Berlin physicist of longer time ago, Sir Isaac Newton, <clears throat> he's talking to one of his colleagues who is having a hard time believing in Jesus. And he wrote, sometimes, this is him speaking to his colleague, sometimes I come into my study and in my absent-mindedness I attempt to light my candle when the extinguisher is over it. And I fumble about trying to light it and cannot but when I remove the extinguisher, then I am able to light the candle. I am afraid the extinguisher in your case is the love of your sins. It is deliberate unbelief that is in you. 
turn to God in repentance. Be prepared to let the Spirit of God reveal His truth to you. And it will be His joy to show the glory of the grace of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, what the Pharisees lacked, many people lack today, this willingness to stand in the light of Christ, repent from their sins, surrender in faith as Savior and Lord. C.S. Lewis, uh, one of the famous essays um, that talks about this encounter between Jesus and the Pharisees, the essay is titled God in the Dock, and he's referring to the place where a defendant in the court of law stands in a legal proceeding. You see, the judge is sitting in the bench, and the accused stands in the dock. And he's describing basically one of the main barriers of faith in Christ, which is what? Our lack of humility and an absence of the sense of sin that cries out for a savior. They don't get that they are in darkness, totally depraved, in need of a savior. And C.S. Lewis writes, the ancient man approached God, or even the gods, as the accused person approaches his judge. For the modern man, the role is reversed. He is a judge. God is in the dock. He is quite a kindly judge. If God should have a reasonable defense for being the God who permits war, poverty, and disease, he is ready to listen to it. The trial may even end in God's acquittal. But the important thing is that the man is on the bench and God in the dock. And this new arrangement that we see that Lewis speaks of, nothing new. Because thousands before, that's the very thing that the Pharisees did. And that's the very thing that we do if we're not careful. Jesus is the Lord of glory. He's not a beggar in the courtroom for our minds. To insist that Jesus stand trial before our reason and our sensibility, this Jesus won't accept. And this is what Jesus is trying to get at to these Pharisees who are full of themselves. He comes as Lord. And sure, we, we come with our doubts, our questions and concerns. And he is kind. He is compassionate to answer. But he still demands our knees to go down and submit and worship him. Any truly reverent, serious, Endeavor to consider the evidence for Christ will lead to accept Christ as Savior and Lord. If you're determined to play the role of jury, remember, the jurors are required to form fair judgments on the basis of clear testimony. And God gives us clear testimony of his holy scriptures, which point conclusively to Jesus Christ as God who came to save. Jesus fulfilled scores of prophecies about his life, about his death, and his resurrection.
God is not in the dark. We're not his judge. How dare these religious leaders place themselves in the judge's seat, not realizing that they will stand before the judge himself. The Lord invites us to repent and believe in Jesus, for he is the light of the world. Let us pray. Lord, we humbly confess that we are in darkness without you, without your presence. It is only through what you did, perfectly living your life, sacrificially laying down your life as our substitute on the cross, defeating sin, defeating death, And God, you say clearly that if we do not believe and trust what you did through your son, Jesus, the consequence is eternal damnation. Lord, have mercy on our soul. I invite you to take this time now to examine your heart. For those of you who say, I need more evidence, Really, what more do you think will lead you to convince you to bow your knees? And for those of us who say we are following, how might have we gone astray? How is the Lord inviting you to come to, cross, to the cross again and say, die to yourself? Because new life can't happen when we don't die to ourselves. Let us pray.